Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be God's Law of Reciprocity. Let's begin today in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in the 30th verse, it says, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. The first half of verse 38 said, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. In the Greek, this sentence is just the repetition of the same word three times. They're all the same word. They're used in a different form, but all carrying the same meaning and all verbs. So really it's translated as, give, give, give. This isn't by accident. The use of this word three consecutive times shows its importance and value. This particular word is used 416 times in Scripture, which shows the magnitude of the role that it plays in our faith. Giving is fundamental to our faith. It's one of the marks of distinction that sets us apart from the world. We're called to be known as giving people. It's meant to be a lifestyle. Giving is never a noun. It's a verb or an adjective because it can never just be a thought or a concept. It has to be an action, or it has to describe someone's character, because these are what make giving what it really is. You can't just think about giving something to someone. You have to physically do it, which is why giving is such a stumbling block to so many Christians. They'll tell you it's great to give to others, but then when it comes time to actually do the giving, you'll find that many have changed their minds. God has created a spiritual law of reciprocity, And in this verse, we find that it manifests in giving. It also manifests in judgment. Matthew 7 and 2 says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. When you give, you will always receive. It's guaranteed. It may not come in the exact same way. It may not come at the time that you expect it to or all at once. But you will receive it back. You can be sure of it. The enemy knows this law. He knows that he can't refute it, so he offers people his counterfeit of it, just like he does with everything else. Many people call it karma, or they say that the universe is being good to you because you've been a good person, or something along these lines. The non-believer sees it happen enough times to understand that the world works on a reciprocal basis. So these things make sense to him. But these ideologies have one major flaw, which is that they don't go as far as God's law of reciprocity goes. Karma teaches you that if you do good, others will do good to you. But God's law goes beyond this. The second part of verse 38 said, 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. The phrase running over is very revealing. In Greek it means to pour out over, to overflow. The concordance goes further to say that it means superabundantly, beyond measure, exceeding abundantly, far more than. This is where karma falls short. As much as the enemy wants to form a counterfeit of this, he can't, because it's not within his power to do this. We spoke last week about the importance of our measure, how big we see God, and the same is true of giving. How much are we willing to give? To what degree will we give? The way in which we give determines the amount we'll receive. But God goes even beyond that. He doesn't just give back. He gives back with interest. He gives not only in abundance, He gives a superabundance, which means that abundance isn't even enough to describe what He's going to give. Whatever measure you've chosen to measure by, He goes far beyond that when giving back, beyond what you're even able to measure. He gives back in a way that's exceeding abundantly, which means that there's not even a word in our language to describe the amount that He wants to give to you. It can't be described. It's so much. This isn't just talking about money, although that definitely can be one manifestation of it. This is talking about every type of giving and every good gift from God that can belong to us. This can be joy, peace, love, hope, contentment, or countless other things. To the unbeliever, this is a radical concept, but not to us, because it's perfectly aligned with what we know to be true of God's character. Ephesians 3 and 20 tells us, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. If God has promised to go beyond what we ask or think, then it shouldn't be strange to us that He'll give us more than we think we'll receive. The vast majority of Christians say that they want this promise of superabundance. They want exceeding abundantly above all they can ask or think. They pray for it, but they never experience it. Why is that? If it's a promise, if it's available to them, what's the issue? What specifically is holding them back? The main issue is that these people are looking at what's meant to be a two-way street as only a one-way street. They just want the abundance to come automatically. They want God to do everything and just watch the abundance come to them without them having to do anything on their own at all. It doesn't work this way. It's too directional. The only way to the abundant life is through giving. We talked last week about a big God and looking at Him in a big way. We talked about receiving big things from a big God, and many Christians would agree that this is the way we should view God. But how many people are willing to give a big offering? How many people are willing to make a big commitment? How many people are willing to do a big service to those around them? Not too many. Everyone wants to receive, but no one wants to give. Then those same people are angry at God when they don't receive anything. They twist Luke 6 and 38. They want God to give, 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 when God is first commanding us to give, give, give. This has to do with an incorrect view of God. This is a spiritual version of freeloading. They treat God like a spiritual welfare system, only there to freely give and never take. But just like with natural welfare, it never serves to actually get a person to a better place. It only perpetually holds them back in the same state. These people never see the abundant life because they're not willing to do what's necessary to get to that point. This is even evident in the language used in verse 38. The last phrase, it shall be measured to you again, 
in the Greek means to measure in return. The concordance goes further to say that it means to measure out proportionally, which provides an exchange based on a true equivalence measured back again. There's an exchange, which means in order to receive, something first must be given. When we receive, he will give us more than we gave. But we won't receive anything if we're not willing to open up our heart and give, both to God and to others. We'll never reap if we never sow. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 25 in the Amplified Bible tell us, There is the one who generously scatters abroad, and yet increases all the more. And there is the one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want and poverty. The generous man is a source of blessing and shall be prosperous and enriched. And he who waters shall himself be watered, reaping the generosity he has sown. We find here again the same principle. He who waters shall himself be watered. There's a lot that we can learn from these verses. The first thing is the word the generous man. In Hebrew, it means blessing. The person who gives allows himself to be a source of blessing to someone else. The same way that we want to be blessed and enjoy blessings in our lives, other people want the same thing, and we can be the instrument that the Lord uses to be that blessing to someone else, and in return, God will bless us. Knowing that God will bless us, however, shouldn't be our motive for blessing others. Our motive should just be to see their need or their want met. We shouldn't be concerned with ourselves at all when giving. Our focus should only be on the recipient of the gift. Otherwise, we may be doing something good, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons, which means that our heart really isn't in it, and it's not genuine. We can also learn something through the use of the word waters. It has a deeper meaning than it seems to on the surface. The concordance says in Hebrew it means to bathe, make drunk, take the full, satiate, abundantly satisfy, soak, water abundantly. This is how we should give. We should give abundantly. And when we do, we'll find that we're given to abundantly by others. This is directly related to the measure with which we use. Mark 4 and 24 says, And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. If we want abundance, we have to give abundantly. There's no way around it. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, once said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. This is a life-changing way of looking at giving, but if followed, it leads to life-changing blessings. This would seem to those in the world like an incredibly foolish idea. They think that if you just keep giving and giving, that you'll just lead yourself into perpetual poverty. But they don't understand that the kingdom of God operates on a completely different set of principles. The kingdom of God is an inverted kingdom. It works the opposite way of how we expect the kingdom to work in the natural. In order to find, you first have to be willing to lose, and it's no different when it comes to giving. You have to be willing to freely forfeit what you have in this moment to receive more in the next. As strange as this seems, we do see this in the natural. If you're holding something in your hand, and someone wants to give you something else, something better, something more valuable and desirable. First you have to let go of what you're holding, and then you can take what's being offered. The second half of verse 24 said, And there is the one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want and poverty. 
The very thing that they think will save them money and help them to grow their wealth is the very thing that stunts its growth. They unknowingly are working against their own purpose because they're not following biblical principles. The first half of verse 24 said, There is the one who generously scatters abroad and yet increases all the more. This is the real way to wealth, the real way to abundance in every area of life. But it's so contrary to what the enemy and the world has led unbelievers to think that they can't wrap their heads around it. It seems so foolish. It seems so illogical. It seems so contrary to common sense. But it's actually not. It makes perfect sense. What's wrong is their perspective and their way of thinking. They're looking only on their own needs and wants. But when you take your eyes off yourself and look to others, giving becomes more than reasonable. It becomes desirable, something that we look forward to doing. The mind of the unbeliever leaves no room for faith, which is why they can't understand the desire to give to this degree. When we give more than we're able, we're taking a leap of faith. We're putting our trust in God that no matter what, He's going to take care of us and bless us because of our willingness to do so. What giving really is, in its truest form, is sacrifice. Sometimes it's a small sacrifice, sometimes a big sacrifice, but either way, it's a sacrifice in some form and to some degree. The natural mind is so averse to sacrifice that many people, even many Christians, don't want to give. There are a lot of Christians who refuse to give to others because they say that they're not sure what that person's going to do with it. They might use it for something bad, so it's best not to give at all. It's a good thing God doesn't think like that. None of us would be blessed at all if that was the case. This line of thinking sounds nice, it sounds plausible, but it's illogical. There's no way to know what someone will do with your gift. The best people with the best character can have a moment of weakness and do something foolish with a gift. And at the same time, those who seem to be the worst people with hardened hearts may have a moment of clarity when they want to do something to better themselves and use your gift as the means to do it. We don't know, because we don't know the intents of another person's heart. Only God does. We should give without thought of that, because then we're making arbitrary standards that aren't biblical for who we'll give to and when we'll give. When we give to someone else, we've done our part, we've blessed them, and we'll be blessed by God for it, regardless of what they choose to do with it. If they want to take that blessing and then turn it into a curse, that's their choice, but it's really not our business because that's between them and God. Intuitively, people know this, but many try to push this knowledge aside in order to serve the purpose of attempting to justify their reluctance to give. Luke 6 and 30 told us, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. We shouldn't have respect to persons when we give. We should make every effort to give like God gives, with agape love, love done in action, blind to who it is receiving the gift. Others say that they won't give to someone because they already have too much, or they won't give to someone because they can get it on their own. But all these mindsets are derived from the same source, and they all reach for the same goal, of trying to justify what we know can't be justified. None of these are acceptable reasons to not give to someone. Just because someone has material possessions doesn't mean that they don't need a blessing or encouragement or a demonstration of love. And the same goes for those who can get something on their own. We can't make unbiblical standards for our giving and then still expect to receive God's blessing upon our lack of giving. It will never work. Let's go to Job chapter 42.
In Job chapter 42, beginning in the 10th verse, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with them in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had fourteen thousand sheep, and six thousand camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karenhapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job a hundred and forty years, and he saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. It's easy to miss if we read it too quickly. But in this chapter, there's an important manifestation of God's law of reciprocity that's not talked about much. The first half of verse 10 told us, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. The turning of his captivity was predicated on his praying for his friends. That had to come first. Once he did that, he received his blessing. And not only that, but a twofold abundance. The second half of the verse said, Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. It didn't say that Job prayed for himself. It says that he prayed for others. He wasn't thinking about himself at all, which is what prepared him to receive the return that he did. Job entreated the Lord on behalf of his friends. Even when he had lost everything, his business, his children, his livestock, he still prayed for his friends. He had every reason in the world to think that he shouldn't be praying or that he should only pray for himself. After all, look at how bad his situation had become compared to that of his friends. But Job didn't look at it this way. He knew the Lord, and he knew the law of reciprocity that God had established. He took his eyes off himself. And he looked on those around him, and it made all the difference. This is important. If we, like Job, need deliverance, we should pray for other people to be delivered. If we need healing, we should pray for others to be healed. If we need a miracle, we should pray for others to receive miracles. Sometimes the only thing keeping us back from receiving our miracle is our own selfishness and pride. Some Christians think, why should they bother to pray for anyone else when they have so many needs in their own life? But all that does is hold ourselves and others back from the miracles that could have been ours. The same is true of giving. If we give to those around us, God will give to us. But we must put others before ourselves. And above all, we must put God first. If we want to live the abundant life, we need to help others get there by giving abundantly. If we want to be successful, we should pray for others to be successful. If we want to be blessed, we should go out of our way to bless others. If we want to be encouraged, we should encourage others. We should allow others to become more important than ourselves. Philippians 2 and 4 tells us, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We'll find that when we do this, the law of reciprocity will work, just like it always has, and God will bless us. And not only will we be blessed, but we'll be blessed with a superabundance, more than we can ask or think. The first half of verse 12 said, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Our blessing may not come at first. It may come at the latter end. 
but we should wait for it with patience and expectancy, trusting the Lord in faith, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is coming and that it's going to be great. Prosperity in all areas of life belongs to us. It's our inheritance. But the same way that Christ had to give his life for us to have our inheritance, we need to give ourselves completely over to him and to a life of radical giving and generosity if we want to experience the abundant life in its fullest form. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given so much for us, that you gave your life so that we could be freed from the bondage to sin forever. Lord, we thank you that you taught us how to give. You taught us an action, an actions of agape love. And Lord, we thank you that now because of that, we can have the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom to be able to give like you would give. Lord, we ask that you give us the courage and the boldness to reach out to others and to give to them with agape love to give to them no matter who they are and no matter when it is, to give to every man that asketh of us. Lord, we thank you that you have taught us this, and Lord, we ask that you help it to go into our heart, into our spirit, so that we can become giving, generous people. Lord, we thank you for all that you're going to do through us, through our giving to others. We thank you for the change that's going to be brought in so many lives because we took the time to give that word of encouragement, to give that advice, to give that seed to those people so that that can turn into a blessing and manifest greatly in their life. Lord, we thank you for all the great things that you've done for us, all the great things that you're doing right now, and all the great things that you are going to give to your people in the days ahead. We know that a great move of God is coming. We can feel it. And we thank you for all the lives that are going to be changed and set free. And we give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to live a life of radical generosity and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.